Morning all, Um, reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting at verse 17. If I cough, it's a nervous cough. It is not contagious. I kept going and getting tested, and and I I would shake their heads when I turned up because I'm just negative. It's all right. Not, I'm positive, but, well, you know, I'm positive, I'm negative. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belonged to the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. It was to fulfill the word that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Here ends the gospel. Well, thank you for having me. Um, Thanks remotely to Andrew and to Richard for leaving me to preach the week after the US election um, and the week that has been. Um, Actually, I think this Psalm 120 uh, may be actually the perfect week, um, the perfect Psalm for this week in world news and in your emotional world, whatever that is looking like right now. Uh, It really offers a model for how Christians are to be engaging with the culture that we find ourselves in. Uh, As Katrina said, we're starting a new series today, which looks at some of these, um, what are called songs of ascent. Uh, They're a set of 15 Psalms, Psalms 120 through to 134. And we're gonna be walking our way through seven of them, which I think means that there are seven weeks till Christmas, in case you hadn't quite tweaked that. There's your seven week warning. The reason each of these psalms or songs is called a song of ascents is that they were songs sung by the Israelites as they journeyed together from wherever they lived in Israel or beyond to Jerusalem, to their national and spiritual capital, three times a year for the great feasts of the religious year. Um, Passover, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. These were the three pilgrimage festivals of Jewish life. Uh, These journeys were seen as an ascent to Jerusalem. Uh, These days we tend to say quite strictly that we go up to Queensland or we go down to Melbourne, Um, you know, hypothetically, currently we still do neither of those things, of course. Um, It sounds wrong to say I'm going down to Newcastle tomorrow. We'll correct each other um, when we get that wrong. North and south on a map is our structuring principle um, for journeys. But it's not the only option. I'm going to... get nerdy for a minute here. Oh. 
this is a medieval European map of a type called uh, a T and O map, you may have seen before, uh, and it puts east at the top because that's where paradise, where the Garden of Eden was thought to be. Uh, it obviously belonged at the top, it was the superior place, and that puts Europe kind of bottom left, which feels um, weird to us. Uh, more recently, in 19th century England, the two major universities, Oxford and Cambridge, students would go up to um, Oxford, uh, regardless of where they lived, uh, and being expelled from either place is still called being sent down, um, even if you live in somewhere like Yorkshire, well north of either. The idea was that you travel up to a central place of authority. Uh, British Railways still refers to, uh, down, to lines out of London as down lines, even if they're headed north. Um, the language reflects the idea that culturally London is the centre, it's the important place. So for the ancient Israelites, on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year, ascending to their destination. Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine um, topographically, but they were also going to worship, so they're acting out an upward journey towards God. And on their way, songs for the uphill journey. Road trip songs, songs of ascent. Uh, these are songs that Jesus would have sung as he went with his family, with his town, up to Jerusalem. Uh, the only story that we have about his boyhood tells of how he was separated from his family on one of these trips. This journey that the Israelites took has traditionally been seen by the church as the journey that Christians too are taking. We are on pilgrimage. We are not at home, um, chilling, cosy. We are toiling up the road, Godwards. The inspiration for this series is a book by the late American pastor um, Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society, and he takes the title from a quote um, by Nietzsche of all people, the 19th century German philosopher who despised Christianity, uh, but who said this, which Peterson takes to be uh, a beautiful description of the Christian life. Nietzsche says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. We are pilgrims, not tourists. Uh, a pilgrimage is long and slow. Uh, it's hard, it's a slog, it's painful. We need songs to sing on the way, to ease our journey, and the songs of ascent are that kind of song. Uh, the first one, and it's possible that they would have been um, sung in sequence, um, the first one is Psalm 120. It's short and sharp. It is a cry of frustration and of longing. The cry of someone who finds the world that they live in chaotic and disappointing. Woe to me, for I have sojourned, I have stayed in Meshach, dwelled among the tents of Kedar. It kind of doesn't matter too much that Meshach is apparently a um, far-off tribe, thousands of miles from Palestine in southern Russia, or that Kida was a wandering Bedouin tribe with a reputation for barbarism. Because in reality, everywhere is Meshach and Kida. Everywhere we look, everywhere we settle, no matter how nice a suburb it may be, is a place marked by lying lips and deceitful tongues, because humans. For centuries, the church has looked at the temptations that besieged the Christian and sorted them into three 
types, using the terms the world, the flesh, and the devil. There are the frequently deceptive desires of our hearts, the flesh. Uh, there, are the freak, there are the forces of evil, the devil, which are real and present in human history and in human hearts. And today we're giving some attention to uh, that third category, the world, the lure of worldliness. Here's what Eugene Peterson says about the world. World is an atmosphere, a mood. It is nearly as hard for a sinner to recognize the world's temptations as it is for a fish to discover impurities in the water. There is a sense, a feeling that things aren't right, that the environment is not whole, but just what it is eludes analysis. We know that the spiritual atmosphere in which we live erodes faith, dissipates hope, and corrupts love, but it is hard to put our finger on what is wrong. The water that the psalmist finds himself swimming in is polluted with lies. Truth is devalued or scorned. Uh, our Meshachs and Kedars are not so different. We don't need to go so far as the twilight zone of alternative facts or misinformation to detect these impurities? Do we notice the ways that truth is distorted, uh, either by power or by politeness? Do we notice the way that praise is cheapened by advertising, by hype? Do we notice how normal it is to manipulate the truth for self-promotion purposes uh, or for self-protection purposes? We hedge the truth, we whittle away at it, we avoid difficult conversations, we withhold RSVPs or we break them, our yeses, our maybes. We make throwaway remarks to grease the wheels of social interaction. We are swimming in lies and half-truths. The psalmist is sick with it, he wants out. Lord, Yahweh, save my life from lying lips, from a tongue of deceit. But opting out of the world is not really an option. Uh, this has been a live debate for Christians from the beginning. Uh, if things are so messy and corrupt, how is the individual Christian and the church community to keep from being caught up in its corruptions um, or participating in them, making them even worse? I have chosen you out of the world, Jesus said. The letter of James, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Some have gone to extremes in response. Uh, the Desert Fathers from the third century onwards retreated from the corruptions and temptations of city life to form monastic communities in the desert. Uh, St. Simeon Stylites uh, in the fifth century, this guy literally lived on a pillar in Syria for 37 years. Um, I have questions about this as well. Uh, the 14th century woman that we know only as Julian of Norwich walled herself up in a cell adjacent to St. Julian's church um, in Norwich uh, for maybe as many as 60 years, uh, spending most of her life in prayer and contemplation. At the other extreme, Christians have tried to seize temporal power and remake society so that it might not be corrupt. That project has historically not gone well. Uh, the oppressed become the oppressors. Popes did not, as a rule, make good emperors. Those examples might seem far off and long ago, but the tug of war between those two broad visions is very much with us still. Uh, one version has been on display this week and this year, 
uh, in the US election, as various leaders have spoken of Donald Trump in terms of God providing a champion for his people um, to protect them and further their cause. Alternatively, some American Christian thinkers have called for a strategic withdrawal from public life. Um, a few years ago, this book, uh, The Benedict Option, um, a strategy for Christians in a post-Christian nation by Rodrea. This called for Christians to segregate themselves from the rest of an increasingly off-track society, forming intentional radical Christian communities where a robust counterculture can form and sustain itself, um, building strong arcs for the long journey across a sea of night, as the publisher's blurb has it. Many of these debates can get quite bitter. Surprise, surprise. Um, but there has always been a healthy spectrum of Christian engagement with the world. Um, in John 17, a couple of chapters on from the passage we read um, just before, Jesus prays for his disciples the night before his death. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Uh, ever since, Jesus' disciples have been figuring out prayerfully, creatively, with many missteps, um, but many faithful moments as well, what it means to be in but not of the world. Uh, it's easy for us to look at the hermit monks and think that they were refusing Jesus, sending them into the world. Yet, St. Simeon on his pillar was apparently not so isolated. Uh, people came to him daily um, by ladder uh, to, for advice, for adjudication of disputes, for preaching and inspiration. Julian of Norwich, the same. Uh, those who have believed themselves called to a contemplative life seek to intercede for the world, to uphold the world and all its hurting and all its corruption uh, to God in prayer. If God is real and almighty and listening, what more practical service could there be in but not of the world? And, you know, Christian um, political and cultural engagement has not just been one long sorry story of capitulation to the ways of the world. Christians have acted within political and social structures to do things like abolish slavery, um, enshrine civil rights, found truth and reconciliation commissions. They have, at times and with many stumblings, looked around on Meshach and the tents of Kedar and seen what's terrible and got stuck in. How do we get that balance right? The being in but not of the world the being clear-eyed, seeing and lamenting what is broken and ugly and wrong, without growing cynical, giving up, retreating, closing our eyes and turning away, or deciding, if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, I want to share with you a story that I read recently. Uh, it feels only fair this week, and given what I've said earlier, that this story is also one that emerges from the chaos uh, of things in the US in 2020. It's about the pastor and, the, and writer, John Piper. Uh, full disclosure here, uh, he holds some views that I don't agree with and that I find difficult to take, uh, but I realized reading this story how judgmental and how dismissive my attitude 
had been towards this man that I knew very little about. Um, I felt very much rebuked reading about he has, how he has been seeking to serve God in inner city Minneapolis for the last 40 years. You might remember that Minneapolis is where George Floyd was killed by police um, back in May, sparking Black Lives Matter protests around the world, uh, and also a few nights of riots and looting and arson in downtown, downtown Minneapolis. This is the exact neighborhood where Piper and some of his fellow pastors have been living and working for decades. In August, this article appeared on the Gospel Coalition website. I'm going to read you some chunks from it, not as many as I'd like to because we don't have all day, but quite a bit, so settle in um, and later go and read the whole thing. It's really quite a stunning article. It says, almost nothing phases John Piper or his wife, Noelle, uh, who have been living in a modest house in the under-resourced neighbourhood since 1980. They know what to do if they hear gunshots, call 911, um, and then see if they can help. How to clean up a dozen hypodermic needles from the front porch, use a broom to sweep them up without touching them, and how to scare off someone breaking into your house, open the door and yell at them. Piper didn't have a grand vision for city revitalization when he moved in four decades ago. He just wanted to be able to work to walk, walk to work <laughs> and thought it was more authentic to live in the same neighborhood as the church. Soon after, convinced presence matters, he issued a call for Bethlehem members, the name of the church, to join him. Within a decade, 400 of them had bought homes in one of the city's worst areas. That was 1980, back before cities were cool. But even when moving to the suburbs would have made sense, closer to most congregants, more space to grow, Bethlehem stayed downtown. Uh, here's one story that the article tells about the, night of, um, the nights of rioting. As the news about George Floyd was spreading, Target employees began getting texts telling them not to come in. One was the son of Pastor John Erickson, who lives across the street from Piper. I was like, what's going on, Erickson said. Then I realized the looting had begun. The city became unhinged Tuesday into Wednesday. There was no police presence and no fire presence Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. I said to our leaders, we have to do something. During the third night of unrest, we went to the Target parking lot and set up a prayer tent, Erickson said. When he asked the police if it was all right, they said, it's a war zone, feel free, it might do some good, but we can't protect you. So while people broke into Target and stole items his son was meant to be stocking and ringing up, Erickson and his church passed out bottles of water and offered prayer. We talked to so many people, he said. People from our church started to come. One by one, folks came to clean up but you could feel in the air it was very unstable. We knew, man, this is not going to be a good night. It wasn't. Soon after the Jubilee members packed up and left, someone torched a car a few feet from where they had been standing. Another person was stabbed. The third precinct police station was overrun and destroyed. Over the next few days, many Christians from many churches cleaned up glass, conducted prayer walks, and volunteered with Jericho Road, an organisation that provides food and social services to neighbours from Jubilee's basement. We feel like we want to be here over the long term making disciples, Erickson said. We want to see people really walking with Jesus over the long haul to see healthy churches established. That means being faithful in the neighbourhood, just plodding along, he said. On any given day, you don't ever feel like you're accomplishing that much. It's just little by little, the Lord helping us. Other pastors and church members in this part of Minneapolis have founded high-achieving schools for disadvantaged kids. They've started and coached sports teams, 
partnered with local council, arranged pop-up food shelves um, for the homeless living in tent cities in local parks. One man who lived in the house um, behind one of the pastors, when he shot his own wife and daughter, asked the pastor to adopt his son when he went to prison. The conclusion to the article. A smoking Lake Street isn't enough to push Piper out of the neighborhood. His car has been broken into, his son's bike stolen out from under them. A few weeks ago, a boy asked if he could cut the grass. Piper said yes, he always does when a kid wants to work. But later the boy came back with a friend and tried to jimmy the window open. Noel and I were sitting five feet away, watching them do it, he said. I opened the door and they bolted. Days later, Piper heard a crash and saw a car rolling onto the sidewalk. One driver got out and shot the other, wounding him. There was a lot of blood for an arm, noted Piper, who called 911. One of my biggest battles over the years is not to become jaundiced, Piper said. He feels the failures more than the successes. One of my greatest regrets is how little impact we seem to have had in the Native American community. Nor is Bethlehem as multi-ethnic as he hoped it would be. Crime is still common, even more so in this recent season. But then there are moments like this. I was sitting in the backyard at the picnic table having lunch a few weeks ago, Piper said, and a guy in his 20s stops and says, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. You're still here. I used to shoot buckets in your driveway as a kid. People used to tell me I lived in a bad neighborhood and I'd tell them, no way, a pastor lives down on the corner. Piper concludes it's pretty hard to quantify the kinds of influence that happen by long-term presence. At the same time, it is important to have gospel-centered expectations. When I read 1 Peter, Piper said his expectations for the people being one to Christ uh, do not appear to include cultural transformation. The expectation is keep on declaring the excellencies of the one who called you and keep on doing good deeds. Some people will be moved to faith and others will go on maligning. In other words, the Bible doesn't promise that if you move into a neighborhood like Phillips, people will trade drugs and violence for hymn sings and stable family structures. But they might see your deeds and give glory to God, Piper said. Your job is to be there, love people, declare the truth, and give a reason for the hope in you. My job is faithfulness, God's is fruitfulness. We want fruit, but staying in the city does not depend on it. Just kind of outsourcing part of my sermon to the Gospel Coalition this week. <laughs> um, because as I say, I felt pretty rebuked reading this. Um, I moved house recently from Dremoyne, which is really lovely, to Wentworth Point, which by the way, also really lovely. Um, there are a lot of nice suburbs around here. Uh, and I believe what I said earlier, that every place is Meshech and Kedar. Every suburb needs the faithful presence of people who love God and hate lies. Um, I also want to take the uncomfortableness of this challenge seriously, though. Uh, really, I want to ask, do we as Christians move towards problems or away from them? Towards mess or away from it? Uh, actually, this story of moving towards mess into mess instead of shrinking from it or rejecting it this is the Christian story. Uh, this is what God does, what he has done across human history, but especially, shockingly, in Christ. The Christmas story is about God moving into the roughest neighborhood there is, enemy territory, uh, the war zone that is his fallen creation, the home turf of the flesh, the world, and the devil. 
In Jesus, God takes on flesh permanently, not a tourist, uh, in love and commitment and for the long haul. We know what happens next. Um, He is not welcomed with open arms. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples uh, the night before his brutal, bloody, unjust death at the hands of religious and imperial authorities. For weeks he had been setting his face towards Jerusalem uh, in defiance of good advice uh, given people were trying to have him killed and Jerusalem would be especially dangerous for him this Passover. But he has been on pilgrimage, on the ascent, toiling up the difficult path to Jerusalem, knowing that he is ascending to his death. Uh, It's possible, you know, that Jesus and his disciples sang this song of ascents on their way to Jerusalem that first Easter. Uh, Hear the words again. Imagine them sung by Jesus and by his fearful or excited disciples, including the one who was about to betray him. When I was in straits, I called out and he answered me. Lord, save my life from lying lips, from a tongue of deceit. What can it give you? What can it add? A tongue of deceit. A warrior's honed arrows with broomwood coals. Woe to me, for I have sojourned in Meshach, dwelled among the tents of Kedar. Long has my whole being dwelled among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Lord, save my life from lying lips, from a tongue of deceit. Um, Meshach and Kedar may be rough, but realistically the lying lips and the deceitful tongue that I most need saving from are my own. Uh, Jesus knows it. He comes, the Prince of Peace, to dwell among our tents, uh, we who show in so many ways that we actually hate peace. The warrior's arrows and broomwood coals, apparently um, the coals from this type of wood are extra hot. Uh, They burn especially severely. These are images of judgment due to a world which constantly corrupts the truth and breaks the peace. When I was in straits, in deep, deep trouble, I called out and he answered me. Jesus moved not away from the mess, but towards it. He not only moves towards the mess, he absorbs it within himself. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. If this is how God loves and has loved the world, how are we to be like him in that? How are we to be in but not of the world that Jesus loved enough to give his life for, but that he also counsels us not to love, as in give our hearts to, and warns us that this same world is going to hate us, to be hostile towards us. To conclude then, two traps to warn against, two opposite traps. One is the trap of complacency. Uh, Instead of being in but not of the world, we go all in, in and of the world. Do not underestimate how much the cultural waters are shaping you, have shaped you. If we do not feel the pain of dwelling in an atmosphere of lies and strife, if we feel in always comfortable and at home in our culture and our subcultures, if the word and spirit of God at no point seem to contradict or sicken us with the world, then beware. 
Is it God's word that you're being shaped by? Are you on the road of pilgrimage or have you found yourself a tent of Kedar that with the right adjustments, with the right renos, you find perfectly adequate to your needs? There's a reason that when we come together each week, we say a prayer of confession. Confession, repentance, sets us back on the road. It reminds us we're not okay. It reminds us we're not at home. It reminds us that the waters we are swimming in are not pure, and nor are we. The pilgrimage is a community experience. We need traveling companions for this road, or we will not stick it out. We sing the songs of ascent in company. If one trap is to be in and of the world, the other is to be neither. This doesn't have to look like St. Simeon on his pillar in the desert. Um, I find the last line of the psalm, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. An intriguing one. Uh, On the lips of Jesus, the light of the world, hated by the darkness, we see it play out in his life and ministry, the emotionally and in the end, uh, physically violent response um, of those in power to Jesus' preaching of peace. Uh, The world does hate him, but when it reacts to us with uh, incomprehension or hostility, is it for the same reasons? Uh, When I lived in the UK, uh, one year, one of my housemates was a guy who, the first time I met him, showed up to the house viewing that we were all going to with a black eye um, and told this story that I implicitly believed at the time Um, about how he was basically just minding his own business at the pub the night before, and this drunk guy punched him in the face. Um, You know, how terrible. Um, It wasn't until I'd known him a bit longer and discovered that somehow this mysteriously happened to him quite frequently. Um, You know, later that year, he broke his leg when a couple of bounces threw him out of one place, um, that I started to suspect that his account of things might not be totally reliable. Um, And the first time I had a conversation with him after he'd had a few drinks, I realised a little more what was going on um, because, frankly, I wanted to punch him in the face. Um, He thought he was making a perfectly reasonable argument about something or other. He was, in fact, being abrasive and overbearing. He was being a jerk. Um, And clearly many people had experienced this. Uh, It's probably not fair to the psalmist, but this is what my mind strays to when I read the final line of Psalm 120. Uh, This may also be influenced by the work that I do. Uh, At CPX, we, you know, as I said, want to be a Christian voice in the public square that is gracious um, and generous and respectful and inviting, that's Jesus-y. And when Christians get a bit um, shouty online, We have a front row seat to the damage that that can do. If we speak truth and peace as Jesus spoke truth and peace, there will be those who are for war. But may it be for the right reasons, you know, not because we are being harsh or self-righteous. You know, the whole who me? I'm for peace. I don't know why they're getting so upset. Um, I'm sure you know the attitude. Hostility may be a sign of faithfulness, um, but not always. So two opposite traps, being complacent in and of the world or being a jerk, refusing to be of the world but not being properly lovingly in it either. In Jesus, God descends to the mess, to Meshach, to Kedah. He pronounces judgment on the lies and the corruption 
and the oppression and the brutality of the mess that we're in. And instead of turning his back on it, instead of growing jaundiced and giving up on us, he goes deeper into the mess. We on the uphill road of pilgrimage in this in-between space, you know, moving from our Meshechs and Kedars to the New Jerusalem, the eternal city, we must see and lament the corruption and at the same time love and invest in the mess as God does. It helps to have songs to sing along the way and each other to sing them with. Let me pray. Father, when we are off the path that you call us to, over comfortable in our tents, bring us back to the road of repentance and a life of pilgrimage. Teach us to love the world as you love the world, to care for it as you care for it, self-sacrificially and without fear, to reject its lies and violence for love's sake, to respond to hostility that does come our way with continued peace continued investment in the good, continued love and grace like yours. Amen.